Hey, you. You're finally awake. You were trying to cross the border, right? Walked right into that Imperial ambush. Same as us. Aaron Thompson. And Josh Karam. And you're listening to the Dungeons and Gatherers Podcast. We have a wonderful show planned for you today. What are we doing today, Josh? Well, uh, my Skyrim friend. Even though what we're doing has nothing to do with Skyrim, I should no, also. We're fighting that. dragons. Weird. Oh, that's a good point. Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. and there's dragons uh, in Skyrim. Uh, there's a really cool Dungeons and Dragons book that came out recently called Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. I've never heard of it. I know. It's a magical book, you see. It's a, a w- wizardry and witchcraft. Mm. Uh, I know for a fact, even though Aaron and I, this is an audio podcast, I know that Aaron is also clutching his version of the book. I am. I'm holding it very dear that, to my heart. Because I also like the back cover of it. I don't know. It feels oh. nice. In all Dungeons Dragons beautiful. Dragon yes, yes. That little textured part. Mm. Yeah. Uh, here, let me. I'm going to read the tagline here. A magical oh, mixture please. of new rules options for the world's greatest role-playing game. Wow, really sweet and amazing. One of the one of the most even before the book came out, Aaron and I would constantly go on about like they're introducing new rule changes or they're fixing old mechanics or they're giving new suggestions for player race and stuff. But a lot of the complaints people had are being answered now or given other mm-hmm. options, which I'm really excited about. Yes. There's a lot of there's a lot a lot a lot of good stuff going on in this book. We're only gonna get to talk about just a fraction of it. Um, I know it's sad, but if if you guys like it, we'll keep on talking mm, about it because oh, we got we'll more. We'll talk about it as long as you want us to. We'll review every subclass. We'll do it all. Whatever. We'll do it know, all. We'll play literally. thirty thousand campaigns to get through every class. Oh my. Maybe. Oh sorry. I shouldn't. I shouldn't. I shouldn't uh, put ourselves to that. that might Don't take speak a while. for me like that. Yeah, the viewers, man. Oh no. That's a good point. As I close out like seventeen files of campaign ideas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Exactly. So Aaron and I thought of a couple things that we wanted to talk about today for you guys at home. I think we should also just say the page numbers that we're uh, reading from. So I, I wanted to you. start with the first thing I talk about is, funny enough, it's within chapter one of the book. Wow. Let's start at the very beginning. A very great place. This very nice <laughs> place. A very good place to start. I can't believe I went to two words that were probably more complicated than good. I'm going to take your degree from you. Please just, just take my... I, it's it's not worth it. <laughs> oh, it, oh, no. <laughs> So on page seven, chapter one, character you options. You also get the ASMR of me flipping through the pages of my book. Maybe. I wish my mic was in a better position so you could really hear the pages mm. flip. Because these big books have such crisp pages. Oh, so crisp. Which is so nice. Uh, I, in general, I love this whole idea of customizing your origin. Mm-hmm. I think it's amazing everything from the ability score to language to proficiencies but I think probably the best way to go about this is just starting with the custom lineage, reading out of that. Many people probably have the thing where they, you know, play an orc that wasn't raised in an orcish town. Or in our case, we play with a dwarf who wasn't raised by dwarves. Mm-hmm. We also play with an orc who wasn't raised by orcs. That's true, but thinks is a gnome. Both were raised by gnomes. <laughs> in my opinion, it's just a six-foot green gnome. Mm-hmm. And you can't prove... He's a gnome. And with Tasha's guide, that could be possible. <laughs> It's true. <laughs> so the custom lineage, uh, 
You first, uh, instead of choosing one of the game's races for your character at first level, you can use the following traits to represent your character's lineage, giving you a full full control over how your character's origin shape them. One ability score of your choice increases by two. Feet, you gain one feet of your choice for which you qualify. And then mm -hmm. variable traits, you gain one of the following options. Your choice, dark vision, or proficiency in one skill of your choice. And you can speak, read, and write common in one other language that you and your DM agree is appropriate for your oh. character. That last sentence, just music to my ears. The last phrase, something that you and your DM agree upon. Any game podcast in general, we will always go back to the... Uh, Talk to your DM, folks. Talk or even to when them. it's uh, Magic the Gathering, it's always like, make sure you talk to the people you play with, that they are okay with this strategy mm -hmm. as well. Right, that, you, that they're okay with all the skewed swarms. Exactly. Make sure that they're okay with that. Aaron, I don't think you ever approved of my skewed swarms, and I still use them against you. It's true, but... I'm getting better every day. Thank you. It, that's the scoot swarm. They they grow on you. Haha. -ha. No. Mm -mm -mm. Okay. So Anywho. Yeah, so the thing that first off that I love is then it goes on to the idea of like you could swap proficiencies, aka an armor proficiency could be switched into a simple martial weapon or a tool proficiency. And it's just so nice to see that you're not stuck to a certain mm. guideline of racial rules because the reality is there's backgrounds for a reason, right? I feel as though a lot of people don't expect, like, an orc doesn't isn't, like, an acolyte or a sage. They don't study stuff. Or a gnome was a soldier before? Right. That's crazy. Like, we say that the D&D &D universe is incredibly diverse and has, you know, people of all walks of life, at least in some campaign settings, right? Like, when you look at a city like Eberron, right? Because I'm yeah. looking at... Starting an Eberron campaign, um, which is so cool. They say that, like, almost everybody can be found everywhere, right? And so then you have to wonder, like, to what extent are half-orcs like half-orcs anymore, as the, as the player handbook describes them, you know? And Eberron does a cool thing where it goes on to say that, like, in, like, traditionally gnomish regions, right? Um, I think this is what it is. There's something along the lines of like dwarves actually speak gnomish instead of dwarvish or something or like orcs speak goblin because the goblins and the goblinoid races taught the orcs how to read. Oh, that's interesting. Right. It sort of flips a lot of these things. And I think it's really cool to finally see something that I've been a proponent of for a while about like having movable ability scores and like having things be flexible. You know, and having that actually be in paper allows players and DMs to feel empowered to make these kinds of changes in their own games. I can vouch for that, too. And I think I always go to you sometimes like there was there's a time where I'm like, hey, I want to play as a gnome, but I'm just going to be an artificer because that works out the way it mm -hmm. does. Or like, right. oh, I'm a drow, so I should be a rogue. Right. Or I should be a sorcerer instead of a wizard because they get a charisma bonus. Exactly. Right? You get sort of pigeonholed into things. Although then there's sometimes too that I love to take like the way that a class is given to me, right? Or sorry, the way that like a race is given and then have that be like an interesting aspect of a character, right? Okay. So then you can have the smart barbarian or you can have, you know, like I play a dragonborn bard um, who I love with my whole heart who like he gets a plus one to his charisma, sure. But like the other plus two he gets, I think, is that in his strength? It's in strength. Yeah, he's just a really strong dude. Like, so he played, I'm a strongth little bard. A strongth right? bard. 
He's huge. Yeah, I can I love bench him. this loot. Mm-hmm. The same way that like I always feel like your background will give you one proficiency that's like a little bit out of the ordinary. Hmm. That's like a little bit. I love to take a background that's like half true to who you are and a little bit on the other side that's like you know it'll give you some extra flavor you know like i play a rogue who was a pirate so that means that i have an athletics proficiency even though i'm a dex based character right so it means that all of a sudden if i need to roll athletics like my background shows that i have done it before yeah years ago i played a sorcerer who was originally an astrologist so She had this huge link to history and, like, mapping out the stars in that Mm -hmm. way. And it it also, that just gives you depth, right? That you're not just like, oh, I'm going to dump every, I'm a sorcerer, so I'm going to dump everything into charisma skills. Right. It lets your characters be more dynamic. Let them have some layers, right? Instead of being the classic, like, I'm a dwarf barbarian, you know, I'm very sturdy and all of my skills are, you know, what they are supposed to be. Yeah, Yeah. it it, it just helps. Definitely. And I think this custom lineage is a great step because when you have like a dwarf that didn't grow up in a dwarven village, giving them stone cunning kind of, it's a weird feat that doesn't really exist. Agreed. Right. And like maybe not all gnomes. um, What's the kind of gnome that gets a tinkering feat? Uh, The rock gnomes. Yeah. Like maybe your gnomes didn't tinker, you know, or maybe like you're a, you're technically a forest gnome, but you don't like to talk to animals. So, yeah. so you shouldn't have that, you know? Definitely. It's funny that it's always going to come back to this character we play with named Snorri. Uh, Since it was Snorri. a dwarf raised by gnomes, I was like, oh, okay, let's let's mix up stone cunning. And then mm-hmm. it's like, well, I'm not really a tinkerer either. I also have this. And I'm like, oh, so we should, like, let's just, it's another. Just give you a different feat. And right here in uh, proficiencies, you could just switch those out easy now, mm-hmm. <laughs> according to yeah. the D&D book. It's awesome. I I love it. I That's love it. A, that actually goes on to like some of my other favorite things if we're ready to pivot. Please, please pivot to your one of your favorite things. One of my Sound favorites of music again. <laughs> is yes, these are a few of my favorite things. I promise I did go to school for music even though I'm pretty sure that was uh, a little bit tone deaf. I'm also excited that during the editing process I'm going to have to link up our vocals so they match exactly on the time. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh that's awful. We were pretty much the same tempo. It just happened at two different times. Definitely. I think it'll be easy. Let's turn to page 150. I'm talking about environmental hazards. Ooh. I love this section. I love anything that has a huge table that you can roll on. Because it's just, even if you don't actually roll on the table, just reading through it can give you so many wonderful ideas. Hmm. I love, because if you're playing a world that's like, you know, incredible, like drenched in magic or something that happens in the aftermath of something, all of these different, like, you know, is a place like sort of sanctified by like the blessed radiance, you know, or has, has it been like encountered, has it encountered like creatures of the far realm? I love that it has options for running a haunted house. Yeah, you know, I think it 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 um it's another one of those instances where it gives so many great ideas to DMs and players out there for what their world could be, right? Because it's so easy to get stuck in like, well, here's the forest that we camp in, and then it leads to the dungeon, and then we go through the dungeon, and it all looks the same, you know? Yeah. Now I... instead we'd be like, and then here's the haunted house, but you don't know it's haunted until there's a triggering effect, right? It's like. Or like, oh, so creepy. I hate bugs. Side note, I hate bugs. Um, but the infested environment on 156 is yeah. so cool. Ooh. 
And then just like, just to think about like that there, it's just a cool, it makes a whole new environment, you know, that you can directly engage with and that like your actions, which could seemingly be fine, right? Seemingly innocuous things all of a sudden can bring out all of these different kinds of effects. Specifically, I want to shout out the mirror zone just because I have a thing for like mirrors and reflections and stuff. I think in a magic campaign, that's so cool. Mirrors are fun. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's such a cool thing to throw into a game. And I'm glad that there's a whole thing for it now. It's, but you're right. It's flavor that's needed from a DM point of view. I, I find myself as a DM falling into a trap constantly when I describe things that are with a darker tone, I usually just initially go to darker colorings of objects. Mm-hmm. And that is my initial, like, it'll be like, you enter this room, a uh, black spire lies before you with dark Classic. tones of earth covering the stone. Mm-hmm. Like, and I realize the more I do that, I'm like, oh, wait, this dark area before is the same as the dark area that you encountered based on just, like, coloring and stuff on and the color scheme right it's a little bit um it's a little bit anime in that way yeah, yeah. Like, and you can tell how things are by the way that they look so when i think about like oh i want to make a haunted house it's all very like classic troping and stuff. It's like, like the person under the sheet and also there's a mirror zone in it funny enough which, oh of course because <laughs> you know why not throw that in but i just love it when a book can give you more options to create the emotional responses that you want i agree there's a there's a different conversation coming in the near future about you know campaign books versus like source material books Ooh, yes not necessarily versus but in conversation with right and I'm just going to give you a teaser trailer that this is much more my speed. Having options and saying you could do something in an environment like this, I think is wonderful compared to like the, and here's, you know, the whole campaign. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. Uh, I uh, Of course, this, yeah, this will launch us into that yeah, conversation. Don't, don't worry about it. Don't worry. It's going to happen. And I'm I'm really excited for it to happen now because you're just bringing that up. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I really want to talk about that. Right. But the point about these environments in general is that I love the idea that magic has a lasting effect because I like the subtle consequences of it, right? And I love Mm. the flavor that it adds to the world. Totally. So if you don't mind flavor-wise, if I could do it, if I could make a little pivot now. Yeah, put some spices in this soup. All right, then. I'm going to – oh, I've been playing Breath of the Wild. You got this. i also been playing Mm -hmm. that Age of Calamity demo to – Oh, cool. It's it's a great demo. Mm-hmm. It gives you a lot. That's awesome. Looking forward to it. Also, also Impa's the best. And Impa's kind of like a ninja. So Final if we, answer. If we flip to page 49 uh, here, I want to get a little uh, into the monk here. I want to talk about monks. Ooh, yes, please. So, in particular, I have been raving about this way of mercy subclass ever since it arrived on Unearthed Arcana. I have been constantly into it. And you can see it it involves healing within the monk class. It is something that has invited the healing principle, which first off, I love when a class invites a principle of like something where it's like, oh, you got to be a cleric to heal people. Mm-hmm. It really helps your party get more diverse and it doesn't pin people into the roles of like, well, the cleric heals and so we have to have one. Even if like... No one really wants to play a cleric, right? Definitely. And some people don't want to play a cleric that heals. They just want to be a... That's also true. Some su- of them want to be sly little tricksy, you know, fox people. Or... T- 
I wonder I what character who. you're talking about there, Aaron. <laughs> no clue. <laughs> you and your trick. A favorite trick- of mine. Your trickery clerics. Mm-hmm. I was going to also acknowledge those war cleric people that just want oh, heavy yes. damage spells. Oh, the damage build clerics? Big war yeah. hammers. I love how this Way of Mercy monk is portrayed as a Italian Renaissance doctor. Oh, yeah, with the, the subtle plague mask. Yeah, and of course, uh, there's some different kinds of merciful masks on page 49 here mm-hmm. that you can use instead of the raven if it's not suiting you. But I love it when a class breaks the mold that you think it's going to be. Because to oh, me, yeah. all the monk subclasses are still like my classic version of a monk in my mind. These these martial arts masters that grew up in a temple and they have some inspired thing from some a martial arts film that fuels them. Yes. I hadn't even considered that. You're so right. And this is that's a whole different take on it. It's a new region, like it's very European inspired. And I remember I was listening to a uh uh, D&D Beyond podcast when this was first coming out and the guy who created this subclass was like we really want to break into something a little different here like this this European renaissance and don't get me wrong I I love Italian just a little bit Assassin's Creed a little bit Assassin's Creed I actually played in Assassin's Creed Brotherhood I played as the doctor all the time in multiplayer oh cool it was just such a cool it was it was cool it's so good hey uh shout out to Assassin's Creed multiplayer that doesn't exist anymore I thought it was a great idea (laughs) this may be too nuts and bolts but I'm just reading through the only issue I can see about this is you have to you're like a front lines healer Right. Hmm. So the cool thing is you can choose whether or not you want to do the hand of healing or the hand of harm. But it means that your allies need to be next to you. Agreed. That Which is honestly could work really well if you're you could set the monk right next to the rogue and it gives the rogue sneak attack. And then the monk can heal the rogue whenever they take a little bit of damage. You know, it could be a cool way to combine your party. I agree. It it kind of makes because I always think back to the uh the the drunken master where it's cool how he's able to disengage and go away. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, as though if they added a better disengage function to the way of mercy, that would be very cool that it could go and heal. Then I suppose then. you could always heal yourself too with the hand of healing. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. No, you're right. You could you got you got hands of healing. <laughs> you got you can give yourself a little chest bump. I also love how like in all of the features there. Hand or healing or harm is in there somewhere. Oh, there's a lot of hands. There's a lot of harm. Hand of harm, flurry of healing and harm. Except for physician's touch. Yes, a little different. Which is also cool. Oh, agreed. Because then you sort of get like a lesser restoration sort of vibe. Yeah. Take that away from the paladins and the clerics. Take that. (laughs) Take that. Take it away from them. They can't do it anymore. Hand of ultimate mercy. When you think about like these like really enlightened people that are in control of their body, it makes sense that they have some ability to bring people back. Mm-hmm. Also, like th- that's a revivify, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's actually the time frame is better. Um, oh, definitely. But revivify your... got to be quick. <laughs> yeah, right, quick. So I mean, and it's seventeenth level, so it makes sense. It'll take some time to get there. But, but... I I will be playing this at some point. I will definitely mm-hmm. be playing Way of Mercy Monk. Definitely. It's very cool. Speaking of um, class adaptations, I would like to bring us on over just a few pages farther in the book to page 58 to a class that is near and dear to my heart. I was thinking about talking about this. I have so much love for the ranger. Um, I 
think because I love druids, right? I play a lot of nature-based characters, even when they're not, you know, a druid or a ranger. I love the idea that, like, you can have a little bit of nature magic, but you still are a martial threat. I think that's awesome. Naturally, everybody wants to have an animal companion, right? But not always. 100%. But it's around, right? And it's um, it should come as no surprise. Any quick Google of the ranger will show that it is a class fraught with controversy. You can find more homebrew solutions to the ranger than I have hairs on my head, you know? And then I love here that we have another optional way to play it. You basically replace every single one of your previous features, and it allows the ranger just to compete a little bit more in the damage-dealing world. They're a class that's full of flavor, but if you don't play the right kind of campaign, the player handbook version doesn't quite suit you with your favored enemies or your favored terrain. 100%. And so here we have favored foe instead, which is sort of like um, it runs in the same vein as Hunter's Mark but it's not a spell, right? And it gives you just an extra D4, so you can still stack it with your Hunter's Mark. Now, yeah, the Favored Foe, just for that little bit of extra damage, I love that they've added some Ranger spells, especially, um, this is a cheat, because I'm going to throw in, I love all of the new summoning spells that they've Ooh. tossed into this. <laughs> with this book, I think it's so cool. Bring more summoning. Um, surprise. I love the added um, fighting styles, especially Druidic Warrior. If you want to play a ranger that has more spell casting, I think that's amazing. I love the way that they've reflavored their hide in plain sight thing, so it's a little <laughs> bit more useful. Definitely. I say with the most love that I have. <laughs> Literally, you can just hide yourself. Um, you turn invisible as a bonus action and um, until the start of your next turn. Nowhere in this text does it say anything about you taking out, coming out of invisibility whenever you make an action. You can use it a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus. That's like, so if let's pretend you're a level five ranger, right? That's three times. If you wanted to, if you had a big boss fight and you went into it with a long rest beforehand, you can turn invisible and attack for massive damage with advantage three whole times. That's pretty good. I'm just saying, there's suddenly like the ranger becomes the cool sort of like stealth warrior that we always knew it could be. Well, it's also, even, I, I'm I'm playing a ranger in Icewind Dale. I did the Unearthed Arcana because Tasha's wasn't out at the time. But it's, I constantly have this thing in my head where I'm like, yeah, I gotta figure out what I'm gonna subclass because I need something from another class. So anything to make the ranger have enough abilities of its own where it's like, I want to stick with this. Mm -hmm. And I'm not right. immediately like, I'm basically a fighter, except I got ranger on me. Yeah. I, anything to make the ranger feel like its own thing. Right, because it occupies such a cool space, and I find that this is a class that so many beginners, whenever they start to play Dungeons and Dragons, they want to play the Ranger. Oh, because totally. everybody wants to be Aragorn, you know. Ranger? You mean Strider? Right. They come for the Strider. They come for the animal companion that can fight with you. Which, by the way, they also revamped the Beastmaster and this new Beast of the Sea, Land, and Sky. Yeah. They are. Uh, much better, in my opinion, than slogging through all of the, you know, one quarter CR creatures and finding something that sort of works, you know? And I find that they scale better with, like, their natural armor as well as, like, they gain your proficiency bonuses and a bunch of other ways, too. Totally. It's just great. Also, it's, it's interesting you brought up the Aragorn thing because the ranger to many people's envisioned as the legolas as well it's the bow that's true warrior. it's the bow yes 
which can be I'm a fighter, too. I'm a big fan of a, of a melee ranger. Oh, same. I'm a big fan of a dex fighter and a melee ranger. I I said it here. I will always go for the sword and board ranger as well. Like, that's, like, a big thing for me. Oh, yeah. Get them. Also, it's cool. If I could just mention another thing I love in Tasha's here. I love when they do stuff, like, on the Shadow Sorcerer, like the Feywild gifts. Mm-hmm. Here for the Fey Wanderer, like I just love horns or antlers sprout from your head. Like, oh yeah, it's I just love that flavor, that little bit to add to the class. Agreed. Or in the Swarm Keeper, you can choose what kind of swarm you have. Yeah. Which, again, I hate bugs, so I will not be playing the Swarm no Keeper. No bugs, except you're a Crawl Harpooner fan, and I don't get. That I I do. Yes, this is your Magic the Gathering reference for the day. Crawl Harpooner, uh, one of my absolute favorite cards. You know how uh, Aaron doesn't like Scoot Swarm? It's the same with me and Crawl Harpooner. I really do not. Like Crawl Harpooner does nothing bad to you. I know because I kill it before it ever swarm hits does the to field, me. but it always scares me for some reason. Maybe it is because That's it's fair. a bug. I don't know. Oh, maybe. You know I, what that is? Speciest. Oh, dang. I got I got to read Tasha's again now. <laughs> it clearly <laughs> didn't set in enough. It didn't stick. Uh, relating the warlock to the ranger with the Feywild gifts. Mm. I actually kind of want to turn to the warlock page for my Let's. last little thing I picked here. Mhm. Skip right over sorcerer. Sorry, buddy. Next time. Next time you'll get all my love. I know love. you have love for sorcerer. And I also played I a sorcerer so to like love. level 11 from like level 1. So I mm-hmm. definitely have a big relationship to sorcerer. You did your time. I did my time with the sorcerer and I didn't get my wings. <laughs> yeah, but lots of cool stuff in the warlock. So what do you have to what do you what are you bringing? So take your attention to um page 73 here and I'm looking mm-hmm. at the genie um otherworldly oh, patron here. Oh, very cool. Now this is this is completely up to a DM how to play it, of course. How much your your pact communicates with you. Mm-hmm. But I love how they introduce something. First off, they could take you to a different region of the world with its origin. But that's very cool. But the bigger thing is that it's so involved with you being very close with your genie. Yeah, isn't this like you keep the genie in a lamp, right? Like you have it with you. Yeah, you've got an option of different kinds of lamps, like an oil lamp, an urn, ring, a mm-hmm. bottle, statuette, or ornate lantern. But a lot of your abilities work directly with this. So you could mm-hmm. like go inside the lamp, you could trap other people inside of there. And it's just like so involved because the genie is always there. Oh, that's true. It's much different than like the otherworldly patron, right? Which is like sometimes just psychically communicates with you from the far realms. This is like a your patron is there with you. Exactly. And of course, it is up to the DM how much like if there was a fiend pack, for example, and like how much Mm -hmm. the devil communicates with them. But that's the entire thing where the devil is like communicating with them and like that's it. It's up to the DM. But the genie is like, I got the genie right here in my lamp. Mm-hmm. I'm going to rub it, and then it's going to come out and say, 10,000 years can give <laughs> you such a crick in the neck. If I hope somewhere out there there is a warlock genie um, who has Robin Williams the as their patron. Yeah. Or at least gives that it the That is the only voice, acceptable right? answer. Yeah. Right. It's got. I guess like they'd probably go air for that. I feel that works the best. That works well, I would say. Yeah. But basically, that's my big thing from this Warlock section. I just love the idea that it is, in my opinion, a really closely related pack to the person, and there could be a lot of really mm-hmm. cool role-playing moments between your pack and yourself. Right. You mean your patron. Dang it. Uh, your that's patron right. and yourself. Why was yeah. I thinking packs? Um, because you make a pact for, like, a different thing. Yep. You know, you get, like, the pact of the chain or whatever. That's what it is. Thank you. Uh, yeah, no warlocks. problem. They're crazy. Warlocks. I've been playing a warlock, warlocks, and I can't I, even remember. 
I've never played a warlock, partially because I get so confused as to, like, which one's your subclass. Because sometimes, I think it's the fact that Hexblade is a subclass option. Hexblade. But I, but I think it's like, but you also do Pact of the Blade. So I'm yeah. like, wait, which one is it? Is it the Pact or is it the Patron? Can they just rename it Pact of the Hexblade Blade? <laughs> Honestly. It's the Hexblade I'm n- Blade. Not, not once in my life have I seen a Hexblade Warlock who was not Pact of the Blade. It's I'm impossible. Put it out there. It doesn't work if you don't do that. Like, it just can't work for you. So I pass the torch over to you, Aaron, for your All right. your third for point, third and final point on Tasha's. For my third program. and final point on Tasha's, yes, on page 117 in Magical Miscellany. We're talking about magic items, folks. Yeah. There's so many. They're so cool. Specifically, I want to shout out um, that all of the magic items for spellcasters, we got so much love. <laughs> we because I always play a spellcaster, except for the one game that I'm a rogue. There you are. <laughs> so yeah, I have some quick stats. So there are a bunch of items. There's ten spell books for wizards, and there are six shards for sorcerers, all of which can be used for arcane focuses to cast your spells. Which I think it's important too that in this book they're like, hey, by the way, spellcasters, you gotta have an arcane focus. Because I feel like that's a rule that we tend to overlook. Hmm. And then a lot of these items, they give you, finally, um, a cool way to boost your spell attack and your spell save. There it is. Because w- we've had plus one swords. We've had whatever, the Holy Avenger, right? The famous oh, plus totally. three. Yeah, and there hasn't really been much of that for spellcasters. And we play with someone who is always trying to ask if Josh will homebrew an item that will increase her spell save. From wizard to sorcerer. (laughs) And now we don't have to worry about it because there it is right here in the book. I also love all of the class-specific magic items we get. Yes. Like the all-purpose tool for the artificer, the amulet of the devout for the cleric and paladin. The Arcane Grimoire, the Bloodwell Vial, the Moonsickle. Not only did these increase your... Sorry, and not to leave bards out, the Rhythm Maker's Drum. <laughs> not only did these increase your, your spell attack and your spell save, but they all come with really cool added points too. Specifically, because I've been looking at making a sorcerer. Oh. Um, the Bloodwell Vial gives you um, a thing you can do once a day that's even better than your 20th level ability. You can regain five sorcery points once per day whenever you roll a hit die compared to the sorcerer's 20th level where you regain four during a short rest. That's that's a great bump. We need so, that. So the sorcerers really needed it. The sorcerer, I have a thing for projects um, and classes that need just a little bit of love. And so the sorcerer and the ranger as two prime examples. And Tasha gave them so much. I love all of the flavor in all of the different shards sorcerers can get. The main argument with sorcerers for knowing such a few, like a, such a small amount of spells is that, will they get meta magic? Isn't that worth it? And like, sometimes I feel like meta magic in and of itself is not worth it from like a versatility standpoint. Also, you're limited to a certain amount of meta magic. Wizards could learn any spell they get their hand on as long as they get the gold. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. But with now with all these cool shards, though, it, it's um, not only is the flavor of the shard interesting because it's like a fragment of magical essence that's turned solid. Yeah. Right. And like, what is a sorcerer really but magic made real, like made alive? That's a good you point. You know. So, and then whenever you do your meta magic, you get an extra effect. Not only do you get your meta magic, but for free, you get the effect of your shard too. And I think that that's awesome. I think it's also great because when I always think about high-level magical items in any campaign that I've played that I've gotten to a high level with, it's always like, 
oh, the Holy Avenger. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, that's just the paladin. Like, what is it for every other class? Right. Exactly. So the other thing that I want to talk about, too, is um, all of the wizard tomes. Like, um, I will tell you. Oh, yes. Reference. Yes. I, w- I shall. Let me find my favorite Look one. in your tome for the tome. <laughs> I will search in my tome for this tome. Oh, like the Atlas of Endless Horizons. Oh yeah, I I check that out. All of those which let your wizards have more like spell versatility, and that way the other thing too is like the wizards always talking about their spell book, right? They're putting spells in their book. Yeah. And yet we seldom see another wizard's spell book, but here we have them, and they're you know thematic, which I think is wonderful. Yeah, I just think they're so cool, and not only do they come with extra spells that you can you know once. For one charge, once per day, you can swap out something you have for something you need. Hmm. But then they also come with an additional thing, like the Atlas of Endless Horizons. When you're hit by an attack, you can spend a charge and teleport 10 feet, and if that's out of their range, it misses. Dang. <laughs> that's so cool. I love that. Yeah. So just there's so much cool flavor in all of those magic items. It is, and that's what that's what we like about with every new D&D book. They do find a way to reinvigorate the flavor. And mm-hmm. add something new and something different. Definitely, I think. Oh, Tasha's Cauldron. It was a big, a big breath of fresh air to a lot of the things that I love about D anD D and a lot of my favorite play styles and classes that I love to play. Yeah, when I got it as a gift, I just like immediately could not take my eyes off of it because it was like even. Mm-hmm. And as I said, one of my favorite favorite things was Chapter One. Like that just drew me in from the beginning. Right, it's a good read from cover to cover. It is. So hopefully uh, you guys might want to hear us talk more about it because these were some of our favorite things, but it's hard to have a few favorite things in a book that's just so jam-packed with a lot of amazing stuff. Oh, so full of things. I feel terrible. We didn't get to talk about so many other things, like all of the wonderful subclasses, all of the new Battlemaster maneuvers. Oh, yes. That's huge. I know. So please like it, and then we'll do it. (laughs) Definitely. Well, uh, thanks for listening. We will be back next Tuesday. But in the meantime, be sure to follow our Twitter at DNDGatherers and tweet about the show using hashtag DungeonsAndGatherers. Link, the blood moon rises. Protect yourself by liking and subscribing to the Dungeons and Gatherers podcast. Mm-hmm.